Welcome to episode 88 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Marketplace. Jackson Hole's little community market on the south side of town. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash jhm to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole, I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I intend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday circle. My guest today is Ty Mack, partner and co-founder of 460 Bread out of Driggs, Idaho. Ty and his partner Jared started a bread company with no baking experience or any food and beverage experience. What they started with was a vision, willing to work hard, the desire to learn, and the support of a local community. Ty will share with us how he and Jared remain relevant with the times, what it took to build a successful business. Now, 460 Bread is on the global map as bread makers and business leaders. I know the story Ty will share with you today will bring great comfort just like when you eat one of his fresh baked breads made fresh every single day. Ty, this is awesome having you here virtually with the COVID social distancing for the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I've been, been listening and, and it's fun to be on, on this end of the mic. And being on this end of the mic and you are on the other side of the hill, uh, over in, are you in Victor or Driggs? Driggs. You're in Driggs. Yep. Okay. So you and a partner started 460 Bread. And before we get into you starting your business and what's, how you got there, tell us all how you have a connection to this valley, to the Jackson Hole area in Teton Valley. How'd this all begin? Well, I grew up in Lander, Wyoming, so just about four hours down the road. And so since I was a little kid, we would come up to spend time in the Tetons, going to the parks. My family were big Nordic ski racers, so we would always come through. And my sister would have Nordic ski races at Trail Creek. And I'd ski the pass while she was doing a ski race when I was in high school. We'd go up to West Yellowstone to ski. And so I knew this area pretty well. Um, and always, always loved it, but never necessarily thought I'd end up here. And then just kind of a stroke of luck, circumstances in, in my life allowed to move here. My, the story's actually kind of cool. My wife and I, we met out in Vermont, and then I kind of talked her into taking a, about a year off from working and traveling, mostly in South America. We were in South America for about a year. We did a bike tour down there. We rode our bikes to link the Patagonia, sort of from nice. north to south. Wow. on bikes and spent a bunch of time in some surf towns in Ecuador. And then finally we, we landed up in Brazil and we were living in a little surf town, just surfing and experiencing Brazil. And we, we kind of run through all our money and we had this return ticket and we're like, Oh geez, no, we gotta, gotta get back, back to it. And I, <laughs> I found this job in Driggs, Idaho with friends of the Teton river. I, I'm a hydrologist by, by education and training and had been doing that sort of stream restoration, stream flow restoration work specifically. And this, this jog came through one of these old school uh, sort of water conservation listservs with friends of the Teton River in Driggs, Idaho. And uh, I, I knew the area pretty well. And my wife and I actually, before we head to South America, had traveled through here and visited 
my now business partner, Jared, Jared Peffer, he and his wife, Sage, who grew up in Jackson, she's a, she's a longtime local, Sage Hibbard, they had built this amazing straw clay timber frame sort of work of art home way off the grid up, up north end of the valley in this community called Felt. Um, no winter access, they would snowmobile in, just a really incredible place. They were mm. kind of living this really, really interesting off the grid lifestyle. So we'd visited them and knew the area. And so I got this, I saw this job and applied to it via email from Brazil and then did a, did a telephone interview in the Denver airport, basically right after we touched down in the United <laughs> States. And, then ultimately got the job. So we backed up our stuff and uh, moved to Driggs and have been here ever since. That was like, it must've been 13, 14 years ago. Just shows that even before all this social distancing stuff that people were even doing remote hiring back then too. Yeah. It was a funny thing too. Cause I mean that this was kind of pre cell phone or at least before I had a cell phone. So I, I was like literally on a pay phone in the Denver airport, trying to do this phone interview and they're paging passengers that were missing their flights. And it was, it was pretty comical. It was a miracle. I was hired for that job. That's fantastic. I love the fact that they hired you for the job over a phone interview from the Denver airport. <laughs> That's great. And so you worked for the friends of the Teton river. How long were you in that position before you and your partner started what you're doing now? So it was a couple, two or three years. Okay. Um, I think about that. And it, it's, I love the organization. I, I uh, still have lots of friends that work there and stuff. And it was a really interesting job sort of working with local irrigators to try to do these collaborative project, projects to leave some more water in some of the Teton River tributary streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it was kind of, it was more like water law, water policy, sort of collaborative conservation work. And less, when a lot of people think of stream restoration, they think of kind of big yellow machines, sort of restoring habitat in the channels. And FTR does a bunch of that too. But I was kind of on the, um, working with the agriculture community. Cool. Cool. So tell us how you get into force going from being a hydrologist working for river conservation into making some of the most phenomenal bread here in the Valley. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting journey. So I, I'd been working both for government and for nonprofits um, doing this stream restoration work for about 10, 10 or 12 years at that point. And it just, it's, I was kind of just ready for a change in a, in a new adventure. I love, nonprofits and all they add to society and to our lives, but it it can also be a little bit of a frustrating place to work. You're constantly writing grants and raising money and you want to be working on the resource, but you end up spending a lot of your time kind of doing that very necessary work to keep the money flowing into the organization to support yourself. Um, And it just, the thing I love about business is just that, you have the upside is potentially a lot larger. If you can, if you can grow your business into something that's, that's, that adds a lot of value for your customers and you can, you can have this sort of big, vibrant, viable business. Whereas in the nonprofit world, there's a little bit of a ceiling as to as successful of a nonprofit as you are in a small community, you're, you're just, you're still going to be living from grant cycle to grant cycle. And, and I, I was just, I was kind of getting 
beaten down a little bit by that, that grind. So my business partner, Jared, actually had cooked up this idea of firing up an artisan bakery. He was still living off the grid up in the north end of the valley. And we were just going to, he'd been contemplating something real small and simple, some kind of backyard wood fired. And then we started talking about it more. I've always loved bread and, and done a little bit of home baking. But Jared convinced me that, that sort of now was the time. And then all of a sudden, this commercial space opened up in in driggs and the person had been operating a bakery there for a while so there's a bunch of broken down equipment in there and this vacant space and uh all of a sudden it was like well shoot if we want to do this right now let's just let's kind of do it right and dive into this and jared had been doing some training out at the san francisco baking institute which is one of the few schools in the country that sort of teaches artisan bread baking on a commercial scale so I did a few courses out there and then, I mean, honestly, the thing I love about small communities like this is that it's kind of so easy to start a business. Everyone wants you to succeed. The overhead's pretty low, a little lower on this side, I suppose. Um, and the folks at Eastern Idaho Public Health want to see you succeed. And so everybody, everybody works with you. And, uh, and we were able to kind of fire up this bakery with basically just sort of our savings and a little bit of money we borrowed from friends and family um, and just start diving into it and, and practicing our craft every day. So we just kind of cast off. And when we were out at San Francisco Baking Institute, it would be funny people, we'd be talking to folks from the Bay Area or something. And they're like, so you guys are just gonna, you're just gonna open up a bakery? Like you guys have never worked in a bakery. You guys have never worked in a <laughs> restaurant. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> and, uh, and luckily we were we just, kind of thought we love to learn we're smart enough people and we we have the personality for it we're hardworking and and let's just let's just try it we'll throw ourselves into it we'll do it every day and see what comes of it has it been hard work i mean absolutely building a business is is definitely hard work but super gratifying too and the thing i really love about bread um is it's a really it's a really good learning environment um there's there's actually in the avalanche world, I've, I've read, I'm fascinated by that because I'm a backcountry skier and have friends that own um, the American Avalanche Institute, the carpenters. And there's this literature about learning environments where snow and avalanche terrain is this ultimate wicked learning environment where you get inconsistent feedback. And a lot of times it's really poor feedback. Like you decide you dig a pit, you think, okay, I'm going to ski the slope. You ski the slope you may have made a really poor decision, but it doesn't avalanche. So the feedback is, okay, that was fine. But you don't really know if you've made the right decision. Whereas in bread is kind of the opposite of that. It's what, what they talk about in the literature as an as a exceptionally kind learning environment where you're, we're doing all our products every single day. We can control most of the variables, temperature, um, the condition of our, of our sourdough starters that we're using, the ingredients we're putting in. And if you have a real systematic approach, you can, you can just learn really fast because you can tweak one little thing. You'll say, okay, like now let's mix to a temperature in the dough that's two degrees higher. And if you do basically really careful experiments constantly, you can learn a whole bunch really fast because you're getting to do every single thing you do every single day. And then a 24 hour cycle, then you're starting fresh, like, oh, that didn't work very well. Mm. And then you can test something new tomorrow. I always, I always kind of feel sorry for the people who are making cheese or 
I don't know, bourbon or anything, anything that's aged, right? Because then you make a batch and then it sits in the cheesecake for six months and then you taste it and you're like, oh, that was terrible. But then like you're, six months ago, you got to go back in time and be like, okay, what was my milk like? But bread works really well for, for learning quickly. Because your results are from start to finish or within hours. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, everything's a 24-hour cycle, basically. Mm-hmm. And bakers have this, have this sort of saying that from the oven comes truth. And so every day you get to do these experiments, you mix your dough, you shape it, you proof it, and then it goes into the oven. And then you get this immediate feedback is either these beautiful loaves come out or I don't know, maybe these flat, dense loaves come out. And then you're like, okay, what are we going to, what are we going to change tomorrow to make this better? And when you guys started, what was your first item that you had coming out of the ovens on a commercial level? Well, we, we kind of launched with a full range of kind of the classic artisan bread products with baguette, ciabatta, some whole grain breads, some sourdough stuff. So yeah, from the very start, we, we launched with, um, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe six to 10 products. And then we've kind of added, added on some things as we've, as we've gone. So when we first opened, we had a little retail nook, which was great. We got to meet our customers and, and sort of talk to a lot of people and get a lot of feedback. But the space we were in was not well suited to that. It's down this gravel road on the south end of, of Driggs, kind of in an industrial park right next to a timber frame shop. Um, <laughs> so it's not, not the kind of place. And it wasn't even zoned for like sit down. So we never had coffee or sandwiches or anything like that. We just kind of sold bread out of the front. But then as soon as we got some traction and we got into some grocery stores and restaurants, we, we were able to shut down the, the retail component and just really focus on what we do, which is just crank out excellent bread every single day for restaurant and grocery store partners. That's awesome. I, I appreciate it. And with complete transparency here, it's important for people to know that at Jackson Hole Marketplace, one of my businesses, where we've just relaunched the deli, we had a bread tasting with your breads. You're very kind and brought a ridiculous amount of bread for us to try, which was helpful because then we could really try the full gambit and see the different shapes, sizes, cuts, so forth. And that was very generous of you. And we chose all of our sandwiches except for one go on your bread, the 460 bread. And it's the freshest bread you get. It's fantastic. We love it. Excellent. Well, thanks. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to be working with you guys down there. So you guys are, are making bread. People see it as kind of simple, but also scary in some ways because you have your bread starters and the baking. Is it going to rise? Let's start off with the myth, and you can say this is true or false. The myth of high altitude baking. Is there anything true to that myth, what you hear about? How has it affected or impacted what you guys do at 460 Bakery? With regard to to the type of bread we do, I think it's largely a myth. It's very true that quick breads, like um, say banana bread, zucchini bread, bread that's not yeasted, that just uses baking powder as as leavening, I think those are strongly affected by altitude and and probably cookies, things like that too. I think altitude affects how things spread and how how the baking powder based things work. Honestly, I, I know shockingly little about things like that because we <laughs> focus so exclusively on bread. But for bread, I mean, maybe there's a, a few minor differences. Sort of your, your sourdough starters are going to adapt to the environment you give them. 
And so whatever environment you build for those starters in your bakery, it determines the characteristics they're going to have. And then basically it just comes down to the hydration of the dough, how wet your dough is, and then how you manage fermentation, which is kind of the, the core of bread. But I don't think it's as strongly affected by altitude as, as people think. That's very helpful to know, not being a professional baker, and you hear so much about altitude. So for all of us, recap, if you're going to do something with lots with the yeast base and the starters, then the altitude might not play as much into it as if cookies or, you know, quick bread that you just mentioned. That's, that's awesome to know. So that way it's not as scary or intimidating. Yeah. Bake a loaf of bread at home. Definitely. It's in no way harder to make a good sort of yeasted or sourdough bread at elevation. I mean, there may be tweaks and the trick is, I mean, when people are home baking, they're often using some recipe that's the measurements are in volume. So it's like so many cups of this cups of that. And for sure, we live in a really dry climate, so your flour is going to have less moisture in it. And so it may be that you just you, you follow this recipe that was created at sea level in a really humid place just perfectly. And then maybe just because your flour was way drier, your dough is not going to work out quite right. But that's more just a function of, I don't know, adding a little extra water. It's, it's not that you would need it to do anything super crazy to compensate for that. Well, it goes back to that testing that you mentioned. You got to try it and test it and you get a blank slate every 24 hours, just like uh, if somebody else's, I, I love it. You're baking bread at home and it didn't turn out just right. Well, don't give up. Just tweak it a little bit, figure it out, do some reading and ask some questions and you can get it right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, I mean, the other advantages you have in the commercial setting, the thing that I was amazed when we started baking every day is it's just so much easier to work with sourdough in, in a commercial setting the sourdough culture that you build is basically it's happiest at room temperature. So we're feeding it twice a day. We're always keeping it more or less at room temperature. And then when you throw it in a dough, it's just super active and does all this work, creating these great flavors and volume in your loaves. But if you're baking at home, sourdough is just really frustrating because if say, if you're not going to bake for a month or you're going on vacation or something, you stick your, your sourdough culture in the fridge and, it sits there really cold and, and creates a bunch of acid as a byproduct and it gets colder and more acidic and colder and more acidic. So over time it starts to favor, it's this mixture of wild yeast and bacteria it starts to favor the things that like and thrive in a cold acidic environment. And so when you take it back out, you've got, you've totally changed the culture in your sourdough starter such that it it's like optimized for a cold acidic environment and you want it, to do great things in your bread, which is not cold and is much less acidic. And so it just, it just causes all kinds of problems. But in the commercial setting, it's just easy because you're always feeding that starter in the same way. It's always in the same conditions and it just, it's just much more happy and, and more active. I love it. Thank you. Now, what do you and your partner, Jared, do to continue your education as business people and as bread makers, bread bakers? That's a great question. We, we spend a lot of time working on that. And over the years, Jared and I have, have kind of specialized. At first, we both did everything and we were, had our hands in the dough every day and we both could sort of do every task in the bakery and we just kind of dove into it and, and, and shared pretty much everything. As we've grown and our role has 
changed a lot in the business such that we're managing people and we're managing the business and just taking on higher level roles in the business. Jared has really specialized on the bread side, the bread production side. And Jared is an amazing person to have as a business partner. He has such a good mind for it and such attention to detail. He, I have to brag on him for a little bit, but he, (laughs) in this past January, January, 2020, he represented the United States in the Coupe de Monde de Boulangerie. So the World Cup of Bread, it's like the most prestigious international bread competition. And it's been this multi-year odyssey for him. He qualified to represent Team USA. It's a three-person team, one person that does pastry, Jared, who was doing um, baguette and specialty breads, and then a third member of the team doing an artistic design piece. So basically building a bread sculpture. And it's, it's such a cool competition. My wife Rose and I got to go over there and and cheer Jared and Team USA on. But it's an eight-hour competition. You have you have like an hour the day before to mix pre-ferments and scale a few ingredients, and then you get eight hours in this sort of a fully decked-out commercial bakery to just make this incredible array of like the the coolest breads in the world and this bread sculpture and all these pastries and you kind of work together as this three-person team and then are judged on appearance and and taste and and everything. So Jared has gone, I mean, from the middle of nowhere in Southeast Idaho and has turned himself um, just by, by dedication and force of will and, and constantly learning and experimenting and seeking out the best possible training is like one of the best bakers in the world. Like no one would argue with that. Jared is like hands down one of the top bakers in the entire world. And it's, it's, it's like pretty amazing. We sell that bread. Yeah. And so that, yeah. So that's, that's Jared. Like he's, he's taken the excellence in bread essentially as far, as far as it can possibly be taken. It has all kinds of benefits to our business. I mean, the people, he's met and the resources we have available to us as a bakery, in addition to just his like unshakable competence in bread that can solve any of the little problems that come up in our production. It's just like an unbelievably powerful asset to have in the business. Um, And so in the meantime, I've, I've taken sort of more of the learn about business route and bring as much possible information as we can about the sort of business and finance side of the business. And so, so over the years, I mean, it start, it, in the earliest days, it was kind of just, well, I just taught myself to be a bookkeeper by taking some Coursera courses. And then I took some corporate finance courses on Coursera. And eventually a couple of years ago, I was kind of like, hey, shoot, I really need to like step this up a little more. And I contemplated doing an MBA and then luckily I found this really interesting program called uh, it's, it's through Goldman Sachs and it's called 10,000 small businesses. It's basically like a kind of like a four month sort of mini MBA, but it's specifically designed for small business owners. And the other really awesome thing about it, because MBAs can be a little pricey depending upon where you do them. It's, it's something that it's a competitive process to get into the program. But once you're in Goldman foots, the whole bill. Um, So it's a, it's a really impressive curriculum and a bunch of it's distance learning. And then they fly you out to Babson college um, just outside Boston, a couple, couple times for some face-to-face meeting and training. So I've been able to take advantage of some really fun things like that and just kind of learn a lot about 
about how businesses work. Cause coming from the nonprofit world and being a scientist and a hydrologist, I mean, honestly, I, I just never given any thought to how, how money flows through the world and how, how businesses provide value for customers and, and make profits to, to support jobs. And it, it's been, it's been such a fun journey for me because I've gone from basically knowing zero about those things to, to being relatively competent and, and spending <laughs> all my day thinking about those topics. So it's been really fun. Are you still in the program? No, it was like a defined thing. I'm, it's actually really cool. They have, they've really made an effort to provide resources to people after the program. So there still are like all sorts of online ways to interact with the program and, and particularly with the, the sort of current coronavirus uh, pandemic, they've, they've been reaching out and it's, I've had the ability to kind of check in with some of my business advisors and I've maintained some relationships with a bunch of other small businesses. And so it's been really valuable in that way that I, I, I still have people I can call up and be like, ah, this, this is keeping me up at night. Like, what are you guys doing about this? How do you think that things are trending or so? So I definitely, um, it's just definitely given me a lot more resources that I continue to lean on for sure. Well, congratulations. That's a great, acknowledgement of your business skill set and the hard work that you do to be accepted to such a competitive program. I think I've heard about that program. I haven't researched it at all, but glad, glad that you did it. And you see the value of having resources from other business people and being able to share ideas. That's so important in business. We have to open up our minds and conversation to others to learn. Yeah, definitely. I feel lucky to have been able to do that. And I would, I would totally recommend um, anyone who's listening to this, that's that, that sounds like a good fit for it's a really well-developed program and I got a ton out of it. And it's, it's something that, that anyone who might be able to use that information should, should definitely consider. Spectacular, spectacular. Ty, we're going to do a quick break to have a word from one of our sponsors and then we will be right back. Jackson Hole Marketplace has what you're looking for. Easy and convenient stop on the south side of Jackson. Milk and eggs, check, we have it. Ice cream and snack break, you got it, check, we have it. Fixins for summer afternoon cocktails, double check. We even have the booze. Are your taste buds craving something new? Triple check, newly launched badass sandwiches, made using 460 bread and meats from Boar's Head Deli and Cy Ginsburg Deli. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash JHM to learn more. Welcome back to the Jackson Hole Connection, interviewing Ty Mack with 460 Bread out of Driggs, Idaho, correct? Correct. Driggs, yeah, you guys are in Driggs. And we're having a fantastic conversation. I love the fact that you are doing something to continue your education, as is your partner. So important that you guys do that. What do you guys do? Because you mentioned earlier how cool it is to start a business in a small community such as you guys uh, over there and in this area. So the community wants to see you succeed. What is it that you give back? How do you give back to your community to help it become a vibrant, healthy community? Well, there's a bunch of things we can do. I mean, this is honestly one of the things I absolutely love about um, living in a small community like this is that there are so many opportunities. I mean, the, the nonprofit world in Driggs is truly amazing and provides so much value to this community. So there, there are some, uh, some basic things we do that we're able to do because we're 
we're a food producer is we've always been heavily involved in the local food banks and we try to close the loop and all of the bread that we don't sell or can't use can can go to people in need in the community via there's a couple different um the community resource center and and the food bank here um and then a bunch of farmers too that can use some of the um some of the not not so choice waste products um that that still have have great utility as animal feed and so so we we do basic things like that but also we donate bread to any nonprofit that ever asked for. We've never turned down a nonprofit when they say, hey, we're having a fundraiser. Can we have some bread? Like bread is what we do. That's like a great way that we can we can support nonprofits. So we, I mean, I think last year, I, we, I think we donated maybe $3,500, $4,000 worth of bread to, to various nonprofits for their, for their fundraisers and events. And then on a personal level too, because this is such a small tight-knit community, I mean, I serve on a couple nonprofit boards. I'm on the board of the Teton Valley Trails and Pathways have been for years. I'm also the chair of the board of the local Teton Rock Gym where this really cool community supported nonprofit rock gym over here. And, and Jared is super active. He was on the, on the board of the community foundation of Teton Valley for a long time. And we're always business challengers for Tin Cup is our, our sort of version of, of uh, Old Bill's fun run that, that the community does over here. So, so yeah, we're super active in, in so many ways and, and uh, are happy to be able to do that. Now, it, early in the show or before the show, you mentioned that you and Jared had read recently Jack Stack's book, Great Game of Business. You read his original one. And did you read another one as well? One of his books? or one just, of just, books? That, just the original one. But you listened to the podcast where I had Steve Baker, who teaches Get in the Game through Great Game of Business over in Springfield, Missouri. What do you think, your and Jared's intentions are with learning about that type of business model of um, more of open book finance, but also complete engagement from, from your team. Yeah. It's something we're, we're kind of in the early days of exploring right now, but boy, it's so interesting. And I, I'm really fascinated by different, different ways to engage staff. I mean, as, as you well know, as a small business owner, your employees are your business. I mean, we so long ago grew to the size where like Jared and I couldn't do it all ourselves and started bringing on employees. And now we have this amazing core of people. We've got about 14 full-time employees. Um, we have two amazing managers, Paul and Eric, that have been with us for a while that are just super skilled and really good at what they do. And then just all these committed folks who have been with us for a long time. And, and we realize every day that, that keeping those people engaged and, and sort of meeting, meeting their needs is, is kind of the fundamental, is fundamental to the success of our business. And so, so anything we can do just to keep our staff happy and engaged. So, so, as such, it's, it's really interesting to look at some of the models of, of like open book management. And, and we've certainly been in contact with other bakeries who, who have used some different strategies like that. So yeah, it's, it's just something we're always interested in, in learning more about. I mean, I'd, I'd be super curious to, to hear your experience with it because you've implemented a lot of those things in your business, right? We have. And I wanted to congratulate you because having 14 full-time people on your team is 
huge. That's, that's families you're providing for. And that's finance that comes back into the community, the scale of economy. And it was just you and Jared that started it. And now you guys have grown this. You've accepted the growth. A lot of business owners are not able to accept growth and allow other people to learn and grow in the organization and take over some of the, the leadership and management and daily tasks that are required to operate the business. And so that says a lot about you and Jared. So congratulations. So for Great Game of Business, we have launched it in the stores, uh, mainly the liquor store. We're getting ready to, we have our design team, which is about an eight to 10 week process. And that's the core group of people who goes through the in-depth process of learning the ins and outs of the philosophy of Great Game of Business. And it, it's changing the mindset of everybody to think like owners to where they understand they have a direct impact on the success of the business. And that goes for everyone, whether you clean or you're the head baker or you're the manager, everybody has a, a huge level of importance. And added to that, you're teaching people the numbers of the business and people are like, well, whoa, I don't want to share salaries. Well, that's not part of great game of business. You don't share individual salaries. You just take this lump sum of wages, benefits, taxes. And if somebody is going to try to break that down and figure out what each person makes, then that individual is participating for the wrong reason. They just need to see it as the big, the big number. And it has greatly helped us move the needle with how we've been operating and seeing the level of engagement with people has been wonderful. And on Monday and Tuesday next week, we actually go to the what's called the launch phase where we roll everybody into the great game of business in the organization. So it doesn't, it's not just the design team. Now it's going to be everybody. And because of COVID-19, we couldn't have our coach come out. We actually paid for the coach for coaching. And that has been immensely helpful. There's no way in the world I have, would have had the time to go through the process by myself. So I think hiring a coach in business is undervalued because you look in sports, people have coaches to be an excellent top level professional player. But how often in business do we take the time and understand the return on investment that we should pay coaches to help us? And so going back to May 11th and 12th, we are going to be doing a virtual launch of Great Game of Business for the liquor store. And we're super excited. We're kind of the guinea pigs of virtual launch. They typically have a coach come out, but we're, we're moving forward with it. There was a conversation in the beginning when all this COVID was hitting. Do we put a pause on what we're doing? I said, absolutely not. If anything, now is the time where it's most important. And it, it, it has also increased the level of communication amongst the team. And whenever we've needed to talk about stuff, we have pretty good communication before, but now we have the vehicle where when we needed to have really intimate heart to heart conversations with the team, they're ready for it because we already had that system in place. Nice. Well, congratulations. That sounds really cool. I'm, I'm super excited to learn more about it and to talk to you more about it. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like a really, really interesting system that could have tons of value. I mean, we're, I feel so fortunate. We have a really committed staff and they care deeply about the quality of the products we send out. And so, I mean, I think we have, we have so many of the, um, of the fundamentals. We have a really, 
really passionate and motivated workforce. So I, I just want to do everything I can to, to help them all thrive. That's, that's wonderful. It's a, a great way to, to look at it. And as far as being a business owner, and then what is the next, next stage of it? So at some point, what is your exit strategy as, as a business owner? And there's too often that we, as a group of business people, as a whole, don't think about what is our exit strategy. And there's something bigger out there than just us. Yeah, we might have put in the blood, sweat, and tears for it, but look at the impact that you've made on all these lives. You're providing a vehicle for, for them to do something with great pride and quality product, exceptionally quality product. And, and it gives people a drive to go to work when, when they have that. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. That is one of the things I really appreciate about business. We're in a really fun stage right now too at 460, right? It's a little nerve wracking right now, but <laughs> um, last summer we just, we just undertook this massive um, sort of expansion and, and reboot of our business. We had rented one, the commercial space I was originally talking about down by the timber frame shop on the south end of town. And then finally last, I guess it was last June 14th, we closed on a, on a big commercial building on the, like right on the highway on the north end of, of Driggs. Um, we'd been, we'd been kind of talking about a, a permanent home and more space. We'd run out of space at our other, other location. And it's just a, we have a particularly not mobile business. I mean, we have these ovens that weigh tons and take, <laughs> I don't know, like our current oven, we have this really amazing, um, Czech, uh, thermal oil deck oven. And it took a team of three Czech people, uh, like three, probably pushing four weeks by the time the entire thing was installed. So, so it's just such a, such a production to move the equipment that, that, that having a permanent home that, that we own felt, felt really important. So we bought this, this really cool, large commercial space and did a big expansion and totally renovated it and kind of optimized every, everything we could as part of this project to make our, our production run more efficiently and, and step up the level of quality in our products. And so, so we just moved in there last, uh, it was the day before Halloween 2019. So we're just, we're kind of going into our first summer in the new space. So it, it's a, it definitely makes this, uh, this, current slowdown we're experiencing a little scarier as we have a higher debt load than we used to, but, but the space is awesome and it's, it's working really well. And it makes me really excited. We have lots of, lots of potential going forward to continue to grow and get better. Well, congratulations on you guys taking that big leap. And I feel as though right now we as business people have a great responsibility to show what real leadership is and to stay strong. We have our bad moments just like anybody else, but we can be great operators, leaders for the people who are in our organization and show them that we will all get through this. And it's, it, you will probably see if you dive deep enough, some opportunities to grow your business and however it is and um, make use of that space and make it worth what your investment has been. Nice. I like that perspective. I, I, yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. It's, it's definitely, uh, it's there, there are scary moments, but, uh, overwhelmingly, I, I still feel like it's been a, been a real positive thing for our business to get into, into a new space with mm -hmm. more, more room to grow. And, and tap into that resource, your best resource is your team. 
you have people that care they on so many levels and tap make sure you guys tap into that resource because they will astound you with the ideas that they have when they understand what is being presented to them and is being presented properly and clearly and how they can help make an impact in in the success of the business and sustainability of the business too because that's what they want they want to know that their job's going to be around next week right nice yeah that's that's one of the things i feel so fortunate to be in sort of an essential industry as a as a food producer is that we've been able to just keep cranking through all this we obviously the all our restaurants we work with have had all sorts of um all sorts of challenges and and are just kind of most of them just starting to ease back into it but um, because we also have the diversity of of uh, great partnerships with grocery stores We've been able to just, yeah, keep our whole team employed. We've had to kind of tighten our belt a little bit, but, but yeah, we, we haven't and don't plan to lay anyone off and just kind of keep, keep cranking through this such that, such that we're ready to hit the ground running as, as things ease back to normal, hopefully <laughs> sooner rather that is. later, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not holding my breath on that. Right. Whenever the, it's going to be a slog, but, but we're ready to, ready to do it. Indeed. Yeah. Hey, to wrap things up today, Ty, do you have some some words of inspiration or thought that you would like to share with people that has always resonated with you i guess the biggest thing that i feel like has been of value both to myself and to jared and to our business is just to constantly be learning and growing and i think that is such a foundational and important thing that that anyone can benefit from is that I mean, we we're we're given this finite amount of time, and we can spend that learning and growing and and getting getting better at whatever we want to be better at, and learning more about the world and becoming um, better human beings. So I, I feel like that that process of uh, of constantly learning is is really is really core. That's awesome, and I love it. I'm always reading books. I used to not, and I so appreciate the insight I've learned over time and talking to other business people who are successful and said, Hey, keep reading, keep learning, absorb as much as you can, and it will take you far. Yeah. And bringing expertise in from outside, honestly, that's, that's something that's been so huge. And that, that has been always been something that, that Jared has been such a strong proponent of in our business. That's, that served us so well. We have some great relationships with this one um, gentleman in particular, Didier Rosada, he's this, this French uh, baker. He's, he's like the Michael Jordan of bread and mm. he's a, yeah, a bread genius. And we've developed a relationship with him over the years and we bring him out. Um, he likes to come at the tail end of ski season and be able to does a couple of days of consulting for us and puts us through our paces and, and then skis a couple of days. So it works out super well, but we, we learn more and and take more steps forward in our bread production with a couple of days with DDA than than kind of muddling through it ourselves for years and years and years. So I think I think bringing in expertise whenever you can, like like you're talking about with your your business and and folks coaching you on the how to implement the great game. I mean, there's no reason to recreate the stumbles and missteps. Of, <laughs> uh, I mean, you can do it that way, and and that has value too, but there's times when you can just bring in the expert and, and skip a bunch of that stuff. And, uh, and then you're off to the races. That's right. And to wrap it up, 
If people want to reach out to you, Ty, what's the best way for somebody to connect with you? Uh, email is probably the best. I'm, I'm kind of terrible at social media. I, I use Twitter a ton and I, I absolutely love Twitter, but I, I kind of use it as a, as a news aggregator and I, I follow a bunch of interesting people and I love just kind of lurking on Twitter and, and reading what, what really smart and interesting people are thinking, but I, I don't do a lot of interaction on social media. So, um, so email and yeah, we, 460 Bread has a website and, um, Jared and our team maintains a presence on Instagram. 460 Bread has a has a page there. So, yeah, pray emails best or or interact with our products too. Always, uh, <laughs> we've we've got lots of stuff out there in the community, and and uh, we're we're happy to be doing it. Cool. Well, thanks for making great bread there, uh, there, Ty, and and congrats to you, Jared. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Yeah. You're welcome. To learn more about Ty and 460 Bread, please visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 88. If you know of anybody that would be a fabulous guest, please send them my way. Send us an email to connect at the JacksonHoleConnection.com. And many thanks to everybody who helps me put this podcast on. Michael Mori does my editing and marketing now. And congratulations to Michael and his wife who will be expecting their second child any day now. Also to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, who always give me tons of support. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.